There's always room for a story that can transport people to another place. A quote by J.K. Rowling. That Didn't Go As Planned is a podcast that uses introspective storytelling to explain how our decisions shape and define our sense of power, perspective, and personality later on in our lives. All stories are based on true events that happen to the host of this show, Shannon Baylor Henderson. Hello out there. I am back with another episode of That Didn't Go As Planned. And this is my storytelling podcast. And I'm very glad to say that I'm being consistent with this. So let's get into episode number two. And for this episode... The topic is called A Dream Deferred. So, of course, you know, that's a Langston Hughes poem. And I remember having to memorize that poem in elementary school. And when I was thinking about um, the next episode of my podcast and keeping along with the storytelling theme, that's kind of how I came up with this topic, A Dream Deferred. It was going to take another path, this episode was, but, you know, I I try to lead by inspiration and what's going to make a good story. So let me give you an overview of this episode. In A Dream Deferred, I'm going to talk about my lifelong dream of becoming a famous writer and how this journey has taken me on multiple career paths that have either intersected or rerouted me back to the original dream of becoming this writer. So the backstory, right? I've been writing stories since I could hold a crayon. Um, It seems like I'm a natural born storyteller or life has filled me with characters and plots worth journaling. And I've known since I was a child that my name should be on book covers or magazine covers, but that doesn't mean that I've maintained a clear path to arrive at those goals. From selling lingerie (laughs) and men's suits to being a secretary and working for a biotech company, I haven't always had writer in my job description, but it's always been in my blood. Like it was going to show up regardless. If I am selling you a three-piece suit for a wedding that you're going to, or if I'm doing data entry on this complicated bio tool that has all these parts with serial numbers, you somehow were going to get the writer out of me. And most importantly, writing was going to call me. It was going to grab my attention and make me listen to it. It was going to command me. No pun intended, but command, content commanders. Okay, you get the point. All right, so let's kind of get into this, this podcast, right? I've always been the quiet, girly girl. Well, maybe not so much now, but, you know, growing up, I was a quiet, girly girl who loved to play with dolls and have dance contests with my closest friends or sit somewhere by myself and read for hours and hours and sometimes even days on end. For me, summertime meant double dutch, 
chasing after ice cream trucks. <laughs> I remember running, ho, ho, running down the street with my dollar in my hand, me and my friends trying to race to the ice cream truck. Well, I was practicing gymnastics with my best friend back then. The gymnast to be was Dominique Dawes. Like I just knew I was going to either be the next Dominique Dawes or I was going to meet Dominique Dawes. But I was in that house doing full splits and backflips and cartwheels and roundoffs, just mimicking what Dominique Dawes was doing. And when I wasn't doing that stuff, I was somewhere off to myself reading Sweet Valley High novels and the Babysitter's Club novels or even reading the dictionaries. The dictionaries um, that I used to read, the World Book Encyclopedia, has this set of two dictionaries. And if you ever happen to make it to the Content Commander's studio in North Carolina, I have those original world book dictionaries. I mean, they're super thick. And in the beginning of the dictionary are these vocabulary builder quizzes. And so I would read the dictionary and then go back and take those vocabulary quiz builders. And I know, probably, you know, not the most fun thing to do in the summer, but that's what I loved. That's what I did. And I can clearly remember the first time that I realized that I wanted to be a professional writer. I sat on the gold colored carpet in my childhood home and I used my grandmother's overly stuffed and overly sized ottoman as a desk. And my braids were cascading over my shoulders and I had these blue framed eyeglasses and they sat prominently on my nose and with a stack of wide ruled, no, they're just certain tools that you need and wide ruled paper wasn't one of them, but I digress, okay? So I'm sitting there with this stack of wide ruled notebook paper and a stack of freshly sharpened pencils and I began to write a story. Okay, so imagine me just sitting there as a kid in the summertime, just writing a story. A few apple juice boxes and 37 handwritten pages later that day, I sat back and looked at the pages of my handwriting and I asked myself, how can I do this every day? Like, how can I take a story and write it every day? I just knew at that moment that was my path. And I think I clearly remember that because that was one of those light bulb moments in your life, you know, how you can remember all the details because it was it was so poignant and prominent for you. I think that's why I remember it so clearly. And I remember also as a child, I told my family, I'm, I'm going to be a writer. This is the thing that I'm going to do. This is my life's plan. And so they made it a point to shower me with the tools of the trade. I mean, from Lisa Frank stationery. I remember Lisa Frank with the bright colored unicorns and animals. And I mean, the, the uh, kaleidoscope colors, like it was amazing. So from that Lisa Frank stationery to my first typewriter and eventually my very own computer, for every birthday and every Christmas or special occasion in my childhood, 
I receive gifts related to helping me to write and to tell stories. And growing up, no matter where I went and what I was doing, I kept a notepad and a pen or a pencil handy. I was always prepared for sudden inspiration or my love for people watching often built the characters in my story. So even to this day, I will people watch. I will sit and observe people, not necessarily eavesdrop to hear their conversations, but their mannerisms and and the sudden movements that they make. And those types of things help me to build characters for the stories that I create or to to really capture the human experience and the, the essence of humanity. Now, I also remember the books that sparked my curiosity and sharpened some of those skills. So, yes, I loved a good Sweet Valley High novel and a Babysitter's Club book. Like, those were my go-tos. But I used to sneak Harlequin novels (laughs) that my mom and my grandma bought And I used to read them under the blanket. So y'all remember the Harlequin romance novels, right? With usually this guy on the cover with his shirt unbuttoned. Like if there were 10 buttons on the shirt, the guy had eight of them undone, right? And he was always muscular and his hair was always blowing in the wind. And there was always this, this damsel, (laughs) this vixen, I guess. And she always had a long flowing dress with her barren breast. I I mean, these Harlequin romance novels, the covers alone were worth a thousand words, but the actual novels itself, well, you know, that was stuff for adults. And I was reading it (laughs) because I used to just grab anything and read it. The Reader's Digest, the, the TV Guide, I would just read it and Harlequin novels were there. So I read them too. Now, admittedly, I was too young to know what half of that stuff really meant. But the way that the authors deeply described the characters and the scenes and the actions, they helped me to be, um, more visually creative, right? So I knew how to describe a scene and a moment and a movement of a person. And those Harlequin romance novels, they helped me step my game up, okay? So all of that led to me becoming this writer, pursuing this dream of becoming a writer. And I even had a business where I created custom messages inside of greeting cards for family members and friends. Like I literally sold greeting cards with custom messages as a kid. And I made money off of that. And as a kid, I wasn't cheap. Okay. So my greeting cards were like five or 10 bucks. And you know, that's like, at that time, probably three times more than Hallmark was charging. But this is custom. Like, I knew my worth then. Okay, pat myself on the back. I knew my worth back then too. And so all of this is in an effort as a child to pursue this dream of being a writer. So, you know, I'm quite sure now you're going back in your mind or if you haven't already, maybe you should just take a moment, go back into your memories as a child. And do you remember the dream that you had, what you wanted to do with your life, where you wanted to go, who you wanted to be, and just recalling the events that led to those 
youthful decisions. So later on in my educational journey, um, I went to a performing arts high school where I focused on literary and media arts. And I loved that school. Um, if you've ever watched the, the movie or the show Fame of the kids dancing and singing in the hallways, it was always very theatrical. That's how my high school was. And although I wasn't in theater and I'm certainly not a singer, I was surrounded by that talent and I was surrounded by my writer friends. And so it always inspired me to, to sharpen my craft. But I remember one day in my senior year of high school, during one of my college prep classes, I made this announcement. Nobody asked me, or maybe there was a question, you know, you know, where are you going to college and what are you going to study and all of that. I made this announcement. I remember it. And I said, I don't want writing to be a part of my path anymore. I'm going to do something totally different. And the way that this high school worked is that, of course, your teachers invested in you, but your peers invested in you. And I'm not talking monetarily. I'm talking about their time and their encouragement and them watching you practice and go to your rehearsals for you. There was a lot of peer-to-peer encouragement. And I can almost remember the looks on everyone's faces like, this girl has gone stone crazy. Like she's gone mad. She's not going to be a writer. And this is all we've seen of her every day for three years from 10th grade to senior year is her writing. And she's not going to do that. Like she's off her rockers. But surprisingly, you know, I, I wanted or maybe unsurprising to me, but surprisingly to others, the dream that I was going to pursue was to become a midwife. Like that was the thing I, I said, I'm going to quit this writing career and I'm going to become a midwife. And that announcement directly connected to my childhood backup dream. Okay. And that was to be a pediatric surgeon. So yes, as a child, not only did I have one dream, I have a backup dream, but I think everyone did that. You know, it was like, what are you going to be when you grow up? Oh, I'm going to be a cook and a pilot right? I'm going to be a fashion designer and a nurse. Like we had backup dreams. To us, they they were correlated, but you know, in reality, perhaps they weren't. I don't know. But anyway, um, I was going to be a pediatric surgeon or I was going to be this midwife. Um, and I think I fell out of love with writing because I let childhood traumas um, and and disappointment lead and build so many of my stories. So as a child, not only the stories that I was writing, but the stories that I was telling myself somehow connected to childhood traumas and childhood disappointments. There were a few fantasy, you know, fantastical is that the word? Stories that I'd written that were completely imaginary and very appropriate for my age. But there were a lot of stories that I was writing that connected to some deeper traumas or disappointments or thoughts. So they were more journaling experiences that I had created narratives and and imaginary characters around. And so because I had built so much of my youthful storytelling around traumas and disappointment, 
I was tired of that. I was tired of reliving or recapping those things. Therefore, I was tired of writing. So I let that go. I just, I needed to let writing go. So, you know, that that kind of happened. And in high school, um, right after high school, in that summer break, um, I did not focus on writing at all. In fact, you know, I got a summer job at the mall, like most teenagers do. Um, and then I got hired. A family member helped me to get a job in a biotech company. And they heard my dream that I wanted to be a midwife, wanted to get introduced to like the medical world. And so I got hired at a biotech company and it was my way to get introduced into the medical field. Now, mind you, it was data entry for biotech tools and devices, but it got me familiar with medical jargon and procedures, all right? So here I am. I said, hey, I want to be a writer. They give me Lisa Frank stuff and typewriters and pens and pencils and all the stationery my heart desires. And to this day, I am a stationery fanatic. Like, I will fight you over a pen. I will, like, hands down. Don't know what to tell you. But when I also spoke that I think I want to be a midwife, people helped me to pursue that dream as well. So I've always had a pretty supportive circle. Now, that job in the medical field or in that biotech field lasted about six months. It lasted through um, a portion of my freshman year. But of course, I was young and I got bored and overwhelmed easily. So that was that. I was no longer working for this biotech company. And you know, I remember when I went to college, I tried to major in everything unrelated to writing, all right? Because at the end of high school, I had declared I wasn't going to be a writer anymore. I wasn't going to pursue writing. So when I started college, my intended major was psychology. And like I mentioned in my previous podcast episode, I changed my major three times. <laughs> so I just kept running from writing. I did not like psychology. And of course, in your freshman year, even though you declare a major, you don't really get into it. At least I didn't for my freshman term and my, I'm sorry, my first term of my freshman year. Um, but before I left school, even though I had changed my major three times, my final major was print journalism. And I kind of felt at that time that writing wouldn't leave me alone. So when I left school, um, I attempted to start a magazine, right? Because my last experiences in college was um, learning about print journalism. And in high school, um, I had a short internship at a magazine. And so I remembered that and I connected the dots and I loved my experiences that I had in high school working on our high school papers and magazines. And then when I worked for a professional magazine during that internship and then went to college and had those experiences with print journalism, I just kind of knew I was like, okay, print journalism, I'm going to start a magazine. And I, I thought I had finally accepted my calling to be a writer. And well, that dream got deferred, right? 
Like, do you know how much it takes to start your own magazine? I mean, my goodness, the time alone, the time that you put in to start a magazine from scratch. Y'all, if there's anyone out here who has started a magazine from scratch and is still going, like, I want to hear your story because I have counseled tons of um, magazine publishers and worked with magazine companies. And some of them are doing really, really great, but they, you know, they're past the infancy stages. But when you're starting out with a magazine from scratch, like y'all, it takes a lot, like anything else, but I mean, it takes a lot. And do you know how much money it costs to print one issue of a magazine back in 2003? So l- let me just take you back here, okay? So back in 2003, around that time when I was starting my magazine, print was in and digital was very new. Like if you're like, I'm going to start a digital magazine, that's my 2003 voice. I'm going to start a digital magazine. Everybody is looking at you like, what? <laughs> like digital magazines, that wasn't a thing. It was too new. And so you were still doing things the very manual, old-fashioned print way. And at that time, I remember this very clearly too, to produce one issue of the magazine that I wanted was going to cost $18,000. for one issue. That meant if I wanted to produce an issue a month, it was going to be 18 grand a month to do it. So I was 19 years old. Where was I going to find that kind of money? Or where was I going to find someone willing to take a risk on someone so young? Yeah. So I raised some money, but it was nowhere near enough. And I was able to get a few things done um, related to the magazine, but it never came to fruition. And so the dream was deferred again. Um, And I felt defeated and I wanted to throw away writing again. Like I was done. I, I just, I could not figure out this writing as a career thing. And I didn't know storytelling was, you know, again, associated with lying at that time. Storytelling and telling stories were connected. And, you know, there wasn't a career path in that. Telling stories meant that you were an author of a book or you were a journalist. Those were the stories that you told. So podcasting, YouTubing, those things didn't exist. So those personal perspectives and formats of telling stories didn't exist. So so if I wasn't working for a publication, uh, whether it was a newspaper or a magazine or a digest or something like that, or starting one of my own, or if I wasn't writing a book, then I wasn't telling a story. And that's just the way it was going to go. So I threw away the dream again. And I took a job selling women's lingerie. All right. (laughs) So, you know, I quit college and started this dream of a magazine wasn't working out and I needed to do something. I was frustrated with writing. I wasn't going to take an attempt at something else. So what did I do? I started selling bras and panties. I hate sales and I'm not a people-y person. So, you know, me selling your bra and panties, that that wasn't going to work for me. Um, or at least that portion of sales wasn't going to work for me. So then I got a job selling men's clothes and men's suits. And that was actually fun, you know, because 
I was essentially playing dress up and, you know, I got commission off of sales for suits, but it was easy for a girl to sell a suit to a guy. I mean, come on now. <laughs> I, I knew what that was. Um, so that was fun, but that lasted about six months too, right? So all of these things were just to avoid the dream of becoming a writer. I, I just didn't want to feel, I didn't feel like it. I didn't want to pursue it. I was angry with the dream, right? So after a couple of other failed attempts, I don't even know. I know that there were several other small jobs or gigs. I can't even remember what they were, but I do know that I found my way back to writing, but that was mostly because I also fell in love with another writer. So I met this guy and he was a writer. He loved writing. He was doing other things too, but writing was his passion. So we kind of became accountability partners, right? Did you write today? Yeah, I wrote today. Did you write today? Or listen to this thing that I wrote, or I'm thinking about this idea for a book. So we became accountability partners and eventually we wrote books together. Um, You know, a part of our our love affair was built on studying and taking notes together, right? He pushed me to focus on writing. And I did that. I I went on to do some amazing writing projects, to do some amazing writing projects. But I found myself running from writing again. The dream gets deferred again. Um, and this time when I took on short-term gigs and projects and jobs unrelated to writing, it's because, or it was because I didn't want to deal with the responsibility of my craft. So like with any other dream or any other craft or natural talent that you have, there's a responsibility with it, right? So I didn't want that responsibility. I I just, I didn't because I was ultimately just frustrated with writing. And so this back and forth affair with writing goes on for years, years, y'all. Back and forth, being a writer, not being a writer, Um, working a job to avoid writing, then quitting the job to be a writer. Like it went on for years. And Eventually, what I realized is that since writing was my calling, it always intersected with what was going on in my life at that moment. It just always, there was this cross street. I could be going straight and at the intersection, there was something dealing with writing that caused me to stop. And let that moment pass and and address that moment and recognize that moment before it passed, you know? So someone needed me to help them write something, you know? Help me write this cover letter. Help me write this, this presentation. Help me to write something. Like, it was always something that someone needed me to help them with when it related to writing. Or... Someone recognized my talent and they asked me to contribute to something they were doing, right? So maybe I wasn't helping them directly, but it was like, hey, I'm a part of this event. I'm a part of this project. I'm a part of this thing and we need some writers and you're good. Can you help? 
or you know can you create this marketing piece for this event like it always intersected with what I was doing and even if no one else called it to my attention sometimes I just needed to write or to journal to understand some of my experiences and my dreams as well as my nightmares or even just to make sense of a situation. I found myself with a pen in my hand writing or I found myself I found myself sitting at a computer and writing. I was always rerouted back to that. So as much as the dream got deferred, it always found its way back to me or I always found my way back to it. And I think that's what happens with dreams with with your calling, with your passion, is that you can go on to the other side of the world to escape it, but it's going to intersect with you where you are and it's going to reroute you to where you should be. So what I've learned about this and hopefully, you know, in hearing this, what you might learn or what you might take away from this is when something is for you, it will find you no matter where you are, what you're doing or who you're with. And the more you run from it, the more you actually need that thing to save you from what you're going through. And a dream can certainly be deferred, but it can never be denied. Usually the thing that we're running from is the thing that's trying to save us, you know? Yeah, dreams are like that, I guess. The more I ran from it, the more I needed it to save me from what I was going through. Interesting, right? Yeah, I thought so too. Did you like this episode? Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. And follow me on social media at Content Commanders to learn more about my company. Also stop by our website at www.contentcommanders.com. Until next time, bye y'all.